Did you know that hurricanes were not given predetermined names until 1953, and that until 1979, they all had female names? Welcome to the Lore of the South. Welcome back to Lore of the South with me, Kelly Cruz. Here we are, episode 20, and we've surpassed 1,500 downloads, so thank y'all for that. And it's officially summertime. There are heat waves a-blazing across the country. I really feel for those without central air. I've nearly always worked retail, and one summer the air went out in one of the hottest months of the year. I jokingly told my boss that I couldn't work under these conditions. She laughed. I pretended to laugh. She then asked, what did I do as a kid before AC? I thought to myself, first of all, how old did she think I was? I did not predate air conditioning. But my reply was, ma'am, my daddy was an HVAC contractor. His family did not go without air conditioning. I got a side eye for that one. Now in more recent years, it seems that hurricanes have become more frequent and we've gone days on end with no power. Granted, it wasn't in the triple digits either, so hang in there, everybody, and try to stay cool and hydrated. Also, happy fourth, y'all. Y'all don't trust anyone who says, hold my beer, and then head towards some lit or unlit fireworks, for that matter. Stay safe and have a good time. As promised, here's number two in our six-part series dedicated to hurricane season. This time, we're bringing y'all a ghost story, The Gray Man. Is he a harbinger of doom or a symbol for safely weathering the storm? He is said to appear to individuals shortly before a hurricane strikes. As his name suggests, he's dressed all in gray. When approached by the living, all he will say is that they should leave the island. A storm is approaching. He was first reported in 1822. He was spotted again before the Great Sea Island Hurricane of 1893. He made a return visit in advance of 1954's Hurricane Hazel. The gray man was spotted on the beach in 1989 before the devastating Hugo blasted its way across the Sea Islands in Charleston. Though his most recent appearance was in 2018, where a shadowy figure appears on surveillance footage on an island pier, just before Florence struck. The thing that all of those who encounter the gray man have in common They all left in advance of the cataclysmic storms, and when they returned to the island to see what was left, their homes appeared untouched. One report I saw said that a home still had its beach towels hanging on a railing where the family had placed them to dry. So who is the Gray Man of Polly's Island, South Carolina? Let's talk about the island's history, and then the main versions of the Gray Man's story. The island was first inhabited by the Waccamaw and the Winyan Native Americans. The first English settlers began arriving in the early 1700s. The first recorded landowner being the island's namesake, Percival Polly. It's thought that the settlement of the island was greatly due to the plantation class on the mainland trying to escape the plagues of mosquitoes that literally brought on yearly plagues of yellow fever and malaria. The naturally windy conditions on the island kept the mosquito population to a minimum. The island was also home to several rice plantations as well. 
And that brings us to the most well-known version of the Gray Man legend. The son of a wealthy planter had been courting a young lady who lived at the other end of the island. They had been courting for the appropriate amount of time for a couple in the 1820s. When wedding arrangements had been hammered out, a dowry agreed upon, a date was set. The pair wasn't to see each other again until the day of the wedding. Now whether that was days, weeks, or months away, who knows. But the young man was so smitten he couldn't bear to be parted so long from his love. He saddled a horse along with his manservant, also known as his slave, set out in hopes that he maybe could sneak a glimpse of her before the big day. The weather began to turn, so the pair took a shortcut through the marsh. They were traveling at too high a rate of speed for the conditions they were traveling in. The skies were darkening, and it was hard to pick out a safe path through the marshland. The planter's son's horse came up short and threw the young man into the mire. The manservant immediately dismounted and tried to free his master. But it was too late. The young man was dead. Once informed, the young lady became distraught. She took to wandering the beaches. When one day she claimed to happen upon a man dressed in a great gray coat. As she approached him, she saw that it was her lost love. She began to question him, but all he would say was that the winds were coming and she had to leave the island. The young woman told her parents of this, and they feared that she had really lost her mind over her fiancé's death. They took her back to Charleston to seek help. Soon after reaching Charleston came the news of a powerful storm that nearly wiped out Polly's island. When the family returned to their island home, it was the only one that had been left untouched. In another version of the story, the young lady and her family were vacationing on the island, and her young man, who had been out at sea for a bit, was home again in Charleston. He had written to tell her he'd be coming to see her soon, with the promise of asking for her hand. The girl spent days preparing for his arrival, cooking and doing other domestic tasks that would prove she'd make the perfect wife. The day finally came that her love was supposed to arrive, though it looked like it was going to be a stormy one. She waited and waited for him, but he never came. In the evening hours, a drenched slave came to the back door and informed the family of the awful accident. The master, our young sailor, had challenged his manservant to a race through the marsh, when suddenly in bad weather, the young man and his horse took a stumble into some quicksand. The distraught manservant was unable to save him. The story then ends in the same vein as the previous one. She dreams of her dead love. She hears his voice then even sees him on the beach. She's given a warning, and the family is saved. I tend to believe, and I say believe in air quotes here, the second version a bit more than the first. Because if it had been a planter's son, we'd have known his name, right? There are records of landowners on the island. The second version gives the characters in the story the ability to remain anonymous, a vacationing family, and a visitor probably no records for that. There are a few other gray man suspects, one of which being a sailor who washed ashore from a shipwreck and died soon after the islanders discovered him. Another is of the island's founder himself, Percival Polly. The last one being Plowden C.J. Weston 
who was the son of a wealthy planter. He was sent to England for schooling, where he met his wife. The two returned to the island and raised a family in a home that they had built, now known as the Pelican Inn. Weston died in January of 1864 of tuberculosis while serving in the Confederate Army. Some have the suspicion that it's in fact the ghost of Weston dressed in his Confederate uniform that has returned to warn island inhabitants of these horrific storms. But to that, if the first sighting of the Gray Man happened in 1822, that was 42 years before Weston had passed away. So who do you think the Gray Man could be? Or is it just a legend, a tale passed down by residents to suppress the guilt they might feel for their lives and property surviving these devastating storms when their neighbors might not have been so lucky? And bringing it back to my first thoughts on the subject, maybe he is a harbinger. After dying in a storm in the marshes, it's now his duty to warn people of impending doom. Make sure y'all tell me what you think on social media. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I always post pics to go along with each episode. I'll also be posting a link to the surveillance video of the gray man's appearance on the pier. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star written review and share us with a friend. If you have any show ideas or just want to say hey, you can contact me at laurathesouth at gmail.com. And with that, we'll talk to y'all later. I'm Laura the South. Congrats, you have unlocked the Independence Day bonus. Y'all, once I realized this episode was coming out on the 4th of July, I really felt like y'all needed a Revolutionary War ghost story. And I thank you for all the downloads. So here is the story of the ghost of Savannah's Madison Square. Madison Square was once the site of a historic and bloody siege during the American Revolution. The battle was a long one that lasted nearly a month, from September 22nd to the 16th of October in 1779. The British had captured Savannah the year before, and the siege was an attempt by both American and French allies to try to reclaim the city. The battle peaked on October 9th, and many notable patriots were lost, including Casimir Pulaski and William Jasper. Pulaski has his own square nearby. Jasper's statue can be found in the middle of Madison Square, which was named after the fourth president and dedicated to the Revolutionary War heroes. Now back to the story. By the end of the siege, American forces had suffered nearly a thousand casualties, and the British retained control of the port city of Savannah until the end of the war. So with a bloody history like that, is it any wonder that its shadowy specters are often sighted on the square? Some are known to run at visitors in the square, and just as they feel like impact is unavoidable, poof, the shadowy figure disappears. Are they the ghosts of former soldiers still running the charge? Another figure spotted in the square is thought to be William Jasper himself. Perhaps he was drawn there by the monument that stands in his memory. When young Jasper is spotted, he is pacing about the square ready to defeat tyranny even in death. Side notes, I never heard of Jasper until trying to find y'all a Southern Revolutionary War ghost story. 
What's known about him made him sound like a very brave and determined individual. He came to the colonies as an indentured servant, as an illiterate 16-year-old from Germany. He served out his indentureship and moved south, married and had three children. Soon after that, he enlisted in the Patriot Army. He first gained recognition at the Battle of Sullivan's Island under the command of Colonel William Moultrie. How many of these names do y'all recognize as place names today? A lot of heroes and place names came out of these battles. The British shot down the flag of liberty, and though under fire, Sergeant Jasper ran from behind lines, collected the fallen flag, ran atop the fort's wall, attached the flag to a cannon swab, and held it until the flag could be raised once again. His act of patriotism inspired his fellow combatants. They beat back the British Navy and won the battle and kept the city of Charlestown from English occupation. Fort Sullivan was renamed for Colonel Moultrie, and Jasper was offered a promotion to lieutenant by the governor of South Carolina, which William Jasper turned down, stating, an illiterate lieutenant would be an embarrassment. He did, however, accept a roving commission from Moultrie. A roving commission was basically a term for a band of spies who also carried out guerrilla-style attacks on British outposts. Jasper met his end at the Siege of Savannah on October 9, 1779, while once again trying to save a flag. His statue depicts him with flag held over his head in his left hand. In his right, he clutches his sword and a side wound. His hat has fallen to his feet. It's a pretty dramatic image that honestly, until now, I had never paid any attention to. We go to Savannah at least a couple times a year. I've been through this square countless times and I have never stopped to read Jasper's plaques. Though I will be sure to do so next time we're in beautiful Savannah. So y'all enjoy your fourth and your long weekend. Try to keep all your fingers and toes in place and maybe put up a flag for Sergeant William Jasper. And we'll talk to y'all later on Laura the South.